Thanks for checking out this episode of the Bureau Briefing. Before we get to the show, there are a couple of companies we really want to thank. Our sponsors, 10,000 Feet. You know, if you haven't checked them out lately, you need to check them out. They make this simple but powerful software, and it just helps you make confident decisions about what's going on with your projects and your teams. Also, MailChimp. MailChimp has been an amazing supporter of the Bureau community since day one, and they are everywhere we go, and they just love digital agencies. And you need to realize they're not just an email tool, and they're not just a marketing automation tool. They're a second brain for your business. They can give you insights, and they can help you automate your e-com store. It's just amazing. So make sure and check out MailChimp as well. And now, let's get on to the show. Welcome to the Bureau Briefing, a podcast by the Bureau of Digital, an organization devoted to giving digital professionals the support system they never had. Each episode, we're going to talk to a member of our community doing awesome, inspiring things. Now for your host, Carl Smith. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Bureau Briefing. It's Carl. And before I get started, I want to say something. We've suddenly had more listeners than we used to. And I make jokes all the time about, you know, the seven people listening. There's a lot of you out there now, so thank you. And I'll stop making that joke. Just you keep listening. And with an episode like we have today, I think you're going to want to. Because today, we're welcoming back to the show the co-founder and vice president of Sparkbox, Mr. Rob Har. How you doing, Rob? I'm good, Carl. How are you? I, I'm good. Did you not hear, Rob? More people are listening. I'm fantastic. I'm, we're up to like eight, right? It could be double digits. I don't want to overcommit. <laughs> you know I want to overcommit so bad. So, Rob, we're friends, been to a lot of bureau events together, been to non-bureau events together, hung out, all this kind of stuff. And the main reason I wanted to get you back on the show was to educate myself <laughs> and, and hopefully make me be a better facilitator at the bureau because I am totally confused on digital agency operations. Everybody I talk to seems to have a different definition. Do, do you have that same experience? Yeah, there seems to be a lot of different ideas on what it is, how important it is, and who should care about it. <laughs> right. So so tell me how you got into operations. Uh, I kind of got into operations by default. Um, we were running our studio here for you know a number of years, and there really wasn't anyone who had dug in to the business side of things. The right how all the things work together to actually make money. And well, Carl, we weren't making money, and, <laughs> and but that's, that's changed. Yeah, and I kind of decided that. If somebody somebody needed to do it, and that was going to be me, and I kind of threw myself into it and said, hey, "I'm going to go figure all this out. I'm going to figure out how to, the pricing works, the business model works, and some kind of way to make sure that we're making money." Well, now, and so you started to kind of build a little definition there. 
yeah. of, of operations. Now, and I think that's that's one of the things that, that I've noticed is when I read about operations, I'm reading about traditional companies, even service-oriented companies, but they don't necessarily have some of the challenges that digital agencies have. And when I started looking at a definition for myself, it, it kind of it boiled down to everything that happens to keep your company running and making money. Yeah, I I think the the sim- most simplistic definition of operations at a digital agency is turning sales into profit. It's everything that happens after the sale is done, mm-hmm. and before shipping the project. That's really everything it encompasses, and that's that's a lot. It, it's a it's a bit of a junk drawer, right? I mean, everything that isn't part of business development. I mean, some of it is part of business development, but let's say that isn't part of new business or sales. And even then some of it does slip over, right? Yeah. Or necessarily the the pure financial aspect of the numbers. You're going to look at the numbers. You need the numbers. They help you. But but you're not necessarily doing the books. Right? No, 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 no. So everything in between those two becomes operations. It It does. And I think that like even how the books get done and what reports get generated out of that are really important to the ops people. Right. It's the, it's the how of the business. You know, I know like there's all this talk of, you know, at the different bureau events of the why we want to inspire people, the why we're doing all of this. And that's all really important. And I'm really lucky that I have a business partner who is amazing at the why, but you know, I kind of own the how, how do we get this stuff done and make money at it? And so when we when we look at that, when we look at the how, what would you say are the biggest challenges to determining the how? I think that one of the biggest challenges and we have in the operations is being able to predict the future accurately. Right. And it's forecasting, it's resource planning, right? Yeah. It, it, Knowing what's coming down the pike and being ready for it. Yeah. I mean, it's forecasting. I hate the word resources because I think it comes from an old mentality of like machines and re- things that you use up. And I like staffing and people's humans way better, but you know. Nope. We'll, we'll go with humans. Okay. And human planning. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how do you overcome that? Like, first of all, before that, what are the special challenges a digital agency faces that other companies might not when it comes to trying to predict the future? Well, I think one of the things that is really hard is that estimating our work is really difficult. I think that estimates are really hard because our clients are, you know, they have a tough time explaining what they need instead of what they want. We're optimistic and we gave rosy colored estimates. And most most of the time, you know, we're not being flexible and letting the business needs that change over time flow into our process. Mm -hmm. So so I think one of the hardest things is that we're just bad bad estimators of our work. Right. Um, And so that estimate's obviously not just financial. It's about the effort that's going to be required. It's exactly that effort. And that yeah. that makes its way into our financial stuff because, mm-hmm. you know, almost every studio you talk to that gets started starts out with a fixed price kind of model. Mm-hmm. And it becomes part of their way of life. 
write an estimate, figure out, try to figure out what the client wants, try to estimate that poorly, be wrong, work too many hours, but still charge the same price. Right. And so I don't really, fixed. yeah, yeah. And well, we don't want to like, um, this isn't a pricing talk, but it, you <clears throat> can't get away from it. Um, right. And, you know, I think that the biggest challenge really of getting really good at forecasting is not being able to accurately say what happened yesterday. It's actually a reporting problem to start with. Okay. So how have you addressed it at Sparkbox? I, I think step one to fix forecasting is to have really good data on what happened yesterday. You have zero chance of being able to predict what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month, unless you can accurately say, this is what happened yesterday. Yes, we all agree this is what happened yesterday. And I have metrics to say, this is what's happening. Because then you can use that to start laying out in the future and grading yourself and seeing how you're actually doing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like, that's the most important part. Now, I think one of the things that, you know, your business model has a lot to do with it and all everything else and what you expect and having clear expectations on your, the humans involved. But I think it all start, has to start with how good is your reporting? Right. Because if you don't have good information, then you're already done. So this, this is part of what, what gets me. There's so much focus and, and rightfully so it's important on optimizing a process on figuring out the metrics for how you're going to measure if something was successful, right? I mean, there's so much going on out there, but if you don't know at some level what to be prepared for, all that stuff starts to fall apart, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> you have to have, you know, the ability to to actually make adjustments. Right. And if you can't tell what happened, then you can't see if your forecasts were correct, which means you can't make adjustments and get better at it. So, so talk about those adjustments. So say that like you right now, and, and tell me if you don't, but I get the sense and why I want to talk with you about it, that you've got a pretty good handle on this. Yeah. You think that that's fair? Yeah. Getting better. We're always working on it. Exactly. I mean, that's why you're where you are is because you've been working on it. So how do you, and this is another one, right? Like people want to find the new tool, but if you don't know what it is you're going to use that tool for or how it's going to help you. So, but, but how are you looking at what happened yesterday, last week, last month, however you do it? Yeah. So one quick comment and then I'll answer your question. Like I, the tool conversation drives me crazy. I think that we're all obsessed with tools and really what we need is some good fundamentals and figure out what data we need and then find a tool to match rather than to find a tool because we have a broken process. You're, the tools are not a fix for what ails most of us. Um, but so we've actually gone through several iterations of this now when we're in a place now where all of the project managers are forecasting for okay. everything they can see into the future as far as they can see based on the projects they're managing and actually the forecast tool by Harvest. The tool okay. is not important, but they're basically just putting people and assigning them based on their project plan out as far as we can see. Um, 
So we've got projects right now that run through the end of the year. We've got a couple projects that are only a couple months out, but everything is updated every single Friday before they leave so that on Friday we have the best information available to us on Monday morning. Okay. And how far out can they normally see? Like what would you say is visibility in a standard time? Um, it depends on the project size. We have some projects that having visibility six to nine months out isn't uncommon at all. We have wow. other projects that are, you know, it's a little bit, you know, they're much shorter. They're maybe a month long and, you know, this is the end of the project. Um, it's only signed work that goes into forecast for us. Right. Because that's the only stuff that you know for sure. And even that can change, but you've at least got an agreement. So if it does change, there, there's some sort of repercussion. That's exactly right. So the digital PMs are the front lines, right? Mm -hmm. They've got the best view. Yep. They put all this information in there by the end of the day, Friday, before they leave on Friday. Yep. And then it's there for review on Monday. Who's looking at it? Yeah, there's several people. One, I think one of the most important things we did when we started using and forecasting all of this was open it up to the entire team. Okay. So that everyone can see what their expectation is. Right. We're actually working on a tool right now that will go through forecast and put everyone's expectations for them into Slack. So it'll say, hey, welcome, you know, John. Here's your expectations for the week, billing this many hours on this many, on this these different projects. Right. Um, so that's the team member has access to all of that. So they know their expectations. If you don't clearly communicate what someone's expectations are, you can't hold them accountable to hitting it. No, that that's definitely true. And then just for people listening, so Sparkbox is a time and material shop. Yes. Yeah. So you can say and is that what it says? It says this many hours on these these projects, yep. or is there tasks associated with it as well? Nope, there's no tasks. That's that's way too granular. I look at okay. So I look at the forecasting piece is an operations tool. It's not a project management tool. Okay, um, it has some of the same kind of data, but task lists and cards and how we run sprints and all of that stuff is somewhere else. Okay, um, this is merely to get the staffing right and to get the forecasting right and get good at predicting what's going to happen. So not again, not to make this a pricing discussion, how does somebody who's not tracking time or is not utilizing the time they track in their reports, so value-based or fixed bid, I guess retainer is you're still looking at that time, but but how how would a value-based or a fixed bid company do that? I I don't think that I think everyone should be tracking their time. Right. I, it's a universal constant. We only have so much of it. Um I think that like you know I think it's crazy to say that people who do value-based pricing don't track time. I know okay. that you know our good buddy Dan Mall tracks all of his time. Yep. And there is not a bigger proponent of value-based pricing out there. No. Because well, he that's wants, how he knows. Yeah, that's how he knows what he did. Oh, right. Because he has accurate. He, he can accurately predict what happened yesterday, or report on what happened yesterday to predict better next time. Right. It's the same principle. So, when did you open up uh, the reporting? So, forecast the the tool from Harvest has been around maybe three years, four years. Has it been longer than that? 
three or four years. We had, I think we adopted it very, very early. Okay. And I know when it first came out, it had some issues, but then it, my understanding is it's gotten tremendously better. And so then when did you make that decision to open it up where everybody was going to be seeing it? Well, we ran that way for probably about six months before we opened it up to everybody. We wanted to get, we wanted to see how good we were at it. Um, we wanted to make sure that we had time to make improvements, figure out what we were going to track, what we were going to forecast, how we were going to do all this um, and make improvements from a PM operations team before we decided to subject everyone to that data. Okay. And and then you do it. What kind of questions did you get from the team when they start seeing that data? Um, well, it a couple of things happened. You know, one of the questions was, is like, oh, I'm blocked. There's no way I'm going to make this number. And it was like, oh, really? That's really good to know because if the project manager is the one that's saying you should work this many hours this week on this project, they're also the one that should be responsible for unblocking you. Um, gotcha. One of the other questions was, is, well, I have other things that I'm responsible for too. So we track that kind of stuff and forecast now. Okay. Anything that we're asking an employee to commit to and do gets forecasted. Gotcha. And is, is that like, what about with your time with operations? Yeah, we mostly worry about focusing on forecasting things that are going to be building the tool or the yes. pro project, yes. yeah, yeah. billable stuff or things that impact people who are going to be billable. Right. Okay. Yeah. Which makes perfect sense. There's no, because any data in there that's not that data is just irrelevant. Yeah. And the other thing that it's made really, really visible to us from a forecasting point of view is when people are going to be out or at conferences or on vacation. Yeah. And the PM can look at it and be like, oh, crap, I'm not going to get the hours that I thought I was going to get. Right. Well, and also, I mean, somebody goes home sick or has a family emergency or or something else comes up because you're dealing with it. Well, I mean, you're dealing with it a week at a time, but an unexpected absence creates a bit of a gap in there that you can't just plug another human in. It can. And one of the things that we run from an expectation point of view is all of our billable employees have a, a billable amount they're supposed to average over a rolling six-month period. Gotcha. So if you want to be unexpected out, that's fine. Please go take care of your family or whatever you need to go do. But you're responsible for that average. And it's going to ebb and flow a little bit. And, you know, if you can't make the hours up today and it's not PTO, well, there's next week or the week after. Or okay. And how does that work? The reason I was asking was, how does that work for the project? Does the project just kind of slow down until they're back or? Yeah, and it does. It can. Um, and that's okay for the most part, because unless there's a tight deadline on the end, since everything is time and materials, then we just invoice less that week. Right. And the client isn't charged the same amount, like invoicing goes up and down. It fluctuates a little bit as long as it all comes out in the wash. And it almost always does. So when, when you're going through and talking with clients, do you explain any of this with them about the way that the human process works? Yeah. The staffing. Um, we staffing do. We, we talk, we definitely talk about it. We talk about, we invoice actuals and we invoice every single Monday for the work done the previous week. Right. So there's not a whole lot of reason to explain to them, you know, 
like how many, who's going to be off when and why. Um, we, we work on cards. We have a we have a velocity based on story points, and they can basically see their invoice. So it's here's how here's how many hours went in to the, to close this many cards worth of this many points worth of um, tasks. So that stays pretty consistent because even if I take you know if somebody takes a Friday off, there was less hours for less story points. Mm-hmm. So it kind of corrects for itself. Well, and and so you're using story points. You're you're talking through some different methodologies. Did you kind of just put together what was going to work for Sparkbox, or are you in in kind of a pure play mode with with certain philosophies? I, I think we've kind of iterated. We've been doing this for nine years, and we've kind of figured out the things that work. We tried to estimate all of our tasks in hours, and it got really really messy. Um, so. You know, we've kind of moved to more of a story point kind of thing. Um, we definitely work in an iterative way, but there's no specific like, you know, met- development methodology we use unless a client requires it. We've got right. scrum team we worked on and things like that. And we're happy to fall into those processes. Um, but we try to stay away from things that add too much ceremony if we get a pick. Right. So d- did you have places you went to resources that you use to learn about, about these different like opportunities to iterate? Yeah, I, Hmm, that's a good question. I, I was a certified scrum master in a former life. Um, (laughs) So I kind of had that baggage with me, I guess. And our technical director, um, you know, was a scrum master trainer. Actually, we've sent some of our PMs to scrum training um, you know, I think the biggest influence for me personally, from an operations point of view, is there was a CFO type that really early we brought in because nobody knew anything about any of the financial pieces here. Right. And he used to come in and spend a couple hours with me every single week. And on Thursday mornings, he would show up at nine and he would be here till about noon. And we did that for, I think, a couple of years and he would just beat me up every single week. Where's this? <laughs> Show me your utilization on this. And like, I would be up on Wednesday night getting ready for my Thursday morning meeting every single week. And, oh, man. and he was, you know, this guy was great because he would, he was so good at just giving me the next little piece I could handle and never dumping on me the whole entire thing that I needed to be doing. Right. So, what that meant is for you know the two, two and a half years we did this, I was never comfortable. I never had the answers he wanted, mm-hmm. but I was never so overwhelmed that I couldn't catch up by the next week for what he asked for. And, and so what was, what was his background? Did he have digital agency experience or he was just a pure CFO? Pure CFO. He actually came from a manufacturing background okay. um, and was a CFO, was, you know, retired consultant, um, just, you know, and he learned things along the way too. Like, you know, I would like, as we, we would kind of figure things out together and look at things and look at the numbers that were driving the business. And, you know, for a business like ours, utilization is king. Okay. Good, good billable utilization. Everything else takes care everything of itself. Everything else works. Yeah. yeah. So for people out there who are struggling with forecasting, which is just about everybody, um, and, and you obviously are still iterating and still working on it. 
I mean, what advice would you give them? Obviously, they've heard a lot already about the importance of, regardless of how you're billing, to understand where your time is going. How how would you recommend that they make a transition to something that that gives them better data? Yeah, I think step one is to make sure your reporting is correct. And step two, use that data to project out what next week is going to look like or the next period, whatever that is. Uh And then grade yourself. You've made a prediction. You could accurately say what happened and then give yourself a grade. And do that over and over again until you close the gap. And while they're doing that, like, I'm just curious, do you have any type of buffer that you put in? We're normally 15 or 20% off on this. So we're just going to go ahead and add it up. Uh, No, I don't want to like, I I knew that question would kill you. (laughs) Yeah. I want to be right. I want to be, I want to get it right. I want to be accurate. And you don't want it to be magic. You want it to be science. No, I want it to be science and I want it to be predictable. Like, the things that I lose sleep over are when things, when I can't predict what's going to happen tomorrow. Right. Now, it's there that doesn't remove all of the unknowns, but there's every unknown that happens reveals an opportunity to figure out why it happened and then it become an, turn an unknown to a known. Right. Like, I want to make better mistakes. I want to make new mistakes. I don't want to repeat yesterday's mistakes next week. And I think if you do that long enough, you've seen enough things where you can get in the 90, 95% accurate. And, you know, being able to accurately forecast things has so many great, you know, things that happen. Like the other thing that we, that seems like all of these studios and agencies struggle with is cash flow. Yeah, for sure. And if you can accurately predict what th- things are going to happen, you, guess what? You can accurately predict cash flow. Yep. And that's a superpower. Like being able to say, like we actually have a, you know, part of what we do every single week is we are able to, we have a basically a, we call it the micro cash sheet. And it's a checkbook into the future. It starts with today's balance and, you know, our operating account and puts in all of the expenses that we have Usually it's a rolling 12 months into the future. It has all of the payrolls, all of those things. And the beauty of our businesses is our expenses are so predictable. Right. So predictable. Like the revenue is the part that we got to like, you know, figure out, right? Like that's the variable part. But we can predict all of our expenses in the future. We can put all of the things we've already invoiced and what due dates they're going to come in at. We can look at that and say, okay, we've got enough with everything we've invoiced today and we, in our operating account, we will, we're good till here. And whatever that date is, I can tell you exactly when that is, but then we can layer in the forecast data because we know we're good at forecasting and be able to say, it's like, oh, well, we've got enough money right now to, you know, with the weekly, you know, tax savings and other kinds of savings that we do and all that to say like, oh, we've actually got enough signed work right now to be to have money until this date. Hmm. And that's amazing because then you can make purchasing decisions. Right. You can actually see slowdowns coming. And like a couple of years ago when we first started, we first kind of started really getting good at being able to really accurately forecast our cash. We actually had a slow quarter. Okay. And it actually turned out to 
to be the most the, the most amazing and horrible experience of my career. <laughs> it was amazing because we could see it coming and start planning months ahead of time. We could get tight, we could cut discretionary spending, and we actually were able to weather that storm, even though it was you know pretty bad for a quarter, because we knew what was going to happen before it happened. Right. It was the most horrifying because it was kind of like watching a train wreck in slow motion that you know is going to happen. Right. And that you don't feel like you can do anything about. So it was one of those that you like, so... But I don't think we would have made it through that had we not had an idea of where our cash was going to be and like what it meant to go through that. Yeah, that's what a lot of shop owners and operators don't give themselves the time to build so they can see it, right? Mm -hmm. They're so so busy with the fires that are burning every day. I don't want to say it's even that time. Maybe it's just not a really knowing where to start, but maybe that start is finding that CFO who's going to beat you up on Thursdays <laughs> or, or finding a way that you, you're keeping your commitment internally and, uh, and building that system out so that you're getting better over time, not thinking that you're going to throw a switch and everything's fine. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think it's the, a mindset switch that has to happen too. Yeah. I think it's really easy early on to figure out how to survive your studio and n- and actually get addicted to that feeling. Like you can actually like get stuck surviving and not have to make the mental switch and learn the new skills to be able to thrive. Right. Um, it's crazy to think that all the business fundamentals that are out there that you don't have to learn and that you're immune to that. And it's the overlap between where most of us are accidental owners and really good at a craft and the business fundamentals there, the overlap isn't there. Right. And at some point you have to forget everything you knew that you learned to survive, to actually start to thrive in these things and put these systems in place and to help Hold people accountable, but give them the data to hold them accountable and all the other pieces. And like, that's operations. Well, Rob, thank you. That was like an amazing education in how you're doing things. And really, I mean, it it makes such sense for how we can all make a step towards that and keep going. I know I'll never run a shop again, but man, (laughs) so many things I would start off with differently right now. Yeah. And it's crazy because really we talked about like one little piece of what ops is. Yeah. We just talked about some of the financial pieces and the reporting pieces and how to like and the forecasting. Yeah. Like doesn't even get into the humans, the human side of all this. No. And that, yeah. that'll definitely be something we have to check back in on and, uh, and talk about next time we get you on the show. But I just, I want to thank you because you know, I, I had this expectation that we'd, we kind of put operations in a nice little box, but I think that by definition, that's never going to happen. Nope. Well, I appreciate you being on the show. Thanks everybody for listening and we will talk to you soon. 